right, next question. The opposite of the last one. Did you have any not favorite? <laughs> uh. Hello and welcome to the season finale of season one. Today we have an extra special guest to help me out with this extra special episode. Jomar Santos. Jomar is the first guest who actually doesn't have a background in the social sciences. Rather, he has a background in the computer sciences, where he now works for a Vancouver app company. Jomar is my partner of four years, so today I've asked him to be the interviewer. As mentioned in the last episode, I've spoken to a bunch of my friends and asked a lot of questions. So this time, it's my turn to answer your questions. On this episode, Jomar will be asking me the questions that were submitted through the survey and some questions of his own about the podcast, my opinions, and my experiences. My name is Cecilia Federizon, and you're listening to Visible Minorities. So today is our season finale, and I brought in a special guest, Jomar. Oliver Santos! Yay! Now say hello. Hey everyone. <laughs> so, Jomar, how, how do I know you? You tell me. Jomar is my partner, and we've been together for four years now. And um, I asked him to be on here today because I thought it would be, you know, a little special, special episode. And since I didn't get to interview him... Uh, he can have the special role of interrogating me today. <laughs> so, Jomar, yes. uh, why don't you give a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. Tell us who you are. So, um, I recently graduated in May uh, in a degree of science. I studied computer science specifically. And um, a couple of months later on, I found a job at a company called EventBase that makes mobile apps. So, I'm a web developer there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Starting your career. <laughs> okay, so why don't you tell us what we're about to do? Or what, what, what did I do this week? So Cecilia created a Google survey this week, and she kind of uh, advertised it in her last podcast and gave participants to submit a response asking specific questions for her to answer. So this podcast episode will be her answering those questions. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so you organize them. I haven't seen the questions yet. And he's 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 going to be my uh, interviewer today. So let's start? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so first question is, what were your initial goals for the podcast? Yeah, my initial goal of the podcast was to make sure that, you know, people of color and like these minority voices are featured, you know, in the media. Of course, this isn't mainstream media, but... And I, w- I wanted to showcase, you know, our perspectives, our thoughts, and how we kind of came to our um, ideas, because we don't really get to see a lot of these voices or get to hear a lot of them in pop culture. And um, so I asked, you know, a few of my friends, people of color, to come on the podcast and just talk about all our passions. So that was an initial goal. And I think as the podcast went along, I found out that, you know, there's still a lot to learn and what what are these processes of learning and how can we develop our um, ideas into a stronger, more cohesive and inclusive 
perspective so that we can have, you know, a bunch of different minorities together and how can we uh, showcase this diversity that Canada truly prides itself in. Yeah, so that were that was my initial goal. I mean, I really loved podcasts like the year before. Course, and yeah. so <laughs> so then I just decided to YOLO and just go for it and make my own. Yeah. So do you think it's it was a way of spreading awareness or would that be a good way of saying it or? I think so. I think spreading awareness is one of the key things to my podcast. Um, yeah. Okay. So did you feel like you met this goal? Oh, <laughs> wow. Um, I think so. I think that, you know, I, I've been telling a lot of my friends throughout the past few months, like, even though we are all on the same side, we're all for equality, we're all um, studying sociology, we all know the social issues, there are still different nuances that each of us brings to the table. And I really enjoyed learning about those nuances and being able to put it um, out in the public. Yeah, to add on to that, throughout Cecilia's process of recording these podcasts, I actually had a question myself that always came up was, how and why did you choose the specific individuals that you interviewed? The main thing was that I I didn't have time to, you know, go out and like see other people or like look for specific people that have experience, I guess, or like any job qualifications. And I think I wanted to focus on like my initial network of friends first especially since I already have a rapport with my friends and we know each other I thought it would be at least an easy way to get into podcasting and interviewing and so I started off with my initial network of friends and then from there I chose people who are visible minorities and who I know have a lot of things to say Um, so that's who I chose for the next season I feel like not everyone that I asked was able to go on the podcast this time, so I probably asked them. And maybe even um, advertise it more to maybe friends of friends who would be interested in speaking. That's a good question, Jomar. Yeah, like, even to add on to more to that is, I realize that, like, they are your friends and you've met them during your university career. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like the specific people you chose kind of limits the conversations to a certain uh, type of response that you'll get from? I'm nodding. Yes, I, I I definitely think so. I mean, the people who I asked are y- very young. And lucky and privileged. And lucky and privileged um, folks who were able to go to university. And we all studied at EBC. So obviously, we all have this kind of very similar bias towards our um, our political thinking. views, yeah. yeah, way of thinking. And so, yeah, I think it does definitely limit the conversation. And I think even in the future, I hope to expand more so to all of Vancouver. And then For hopefully, sure. if I work hard enough, I can get this as a national thing. And then I can ask more people from across Canada, across the country. I think that would definitely give a better wholesome representation of the different perspectives out there. So like you said, many of your friends, if not all of them, specifically the ones you interviewed are are from UBC. Yeah. So do you feel like the mindset or like, I'm not really sure how to explain it, but like the thinking of UBC students replicates society as a whole, or do you feel like a bubble is kind of exists in UBC? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Mm Mm-hmm. I think in each community, they have their own little bubble. So 
Yeah, I think there is, like, this bubble at UBC and specifically in sociology and, you Mm -hmm. know, the groups that I'm, that I would associate with. And I think, so everyone usually hangs out with people who are most like them, who Mm -hmm. think most uh, similarly to them and maybe even act the same way. So obviously, like, if you are attracted to, like, you know, your friends who who have the same political uh, views as you, there is going to be that bubble. For sure. I mean, I still work at EBC, but even just stepping out of the sociology bubble, I, I've already... Ex- it's it's okay. already difficult yeah. for me to uh, express my opinions <laughs> loudly and, you know, even just explaining to people, like... It, it, there's no common ground anymore and I have mm-hmm. to explain and it takes a lot of emotional work to even just try and explain that, you know, sexism still exists. For sure. Um, and what was the question? <laughs> oh, the bubble. Does yes. it reflect society? I don't think it reflects society. I think it reflects some part of society. Yeah. I mean, different universities have their own kind of environment, mm-hmm. their own bias. Like UBC and U of T, the University of Toronto, are definitely different institutions and probably have different feels to their schools. So I think it's def- it's not a reflection of society. And I think there is a UBC bubble. And again, like I hope... In the future, like with this project, it grows so that I would have the resources to diversify my bubbles in Canada. Me not being someone who has studied sociology, um, I find myself sometimes questioning whether or not academia is the right, I guess, like solution for social issues. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your thought on that exactly? Yeah. I mean, okay, I guess a disclaimer so yeah. that everyone knows my bias is that I I really liked school yeah. and I was really good at she it. She does. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, like, for me, I think what I've learned in undergrad is that I do like the concept of learning and teaching. I don't think academia is the only way to um, solve social issues. I think it is one way. And I, I don't think we could accomplish it without, but I don't think it is the only avenue. What I think is the problem with people thinking that academia is the only solution to social social issues is because, you know, not everyone has access to university. And when you do start to study these things, a kind of jargon starts to develop. And that jargon isn't really accessible to a lot of people. Um, not a lot of people will understand what heteropatriarchy is or what the quintessential, like, stereotypes or whatever. I don't even know if I use that word correctly. But even going into, like, or even going into my gender, race, sexuality, and social justice minor, like, I still had to learn a lot of these vocabulary so that I can understand, you know, what was going on? What does capitalism mean? What does colonialism mean? What does neoliberalism mean? And even me in a university setting having difficulty even trying to adjust to these types of language or this, or how we talk about these issues is already difficult. Long story short, I don't think academia is the only way to fix social issues. I think that we need to start having these conversations in the mainstream and dealing with it every day in our conversations with friends and with family. Um, This podcast. This podcast, yeah, exactly. That's why I really like podcasts and what I started to really love about them is that 
you know, I learned so many things from the different podcasts that I listened to and it was all told through storytelling. It was all told through a very relatable way. It was very accessible to everyone to try and understand, you know, what types of things are going on in the world. So I think for me, learning and teaching are definitely like part of fixing social issues. And for me, that's where my passions lie. It's just, I'm trying to figure out different ways that are not the traditional school sense to learn and to teach others. So yeah, that's that's my opinion on it. Yeah, it makes sense that like you touch upon like the jargon. Mm -hmm. um, referencing back to when you were saying that like you still work at UBC, but like it's harder to, I guess, socialize or like even just talk to mm -hmm. other people because they aren't on the same level as people you're, you were used to back when you were studying at UBC. Yeah. There's a restriction on the jargon that you use. Like, it happens a lot in the world. Like, even yeah. for me, for example, when I'm talking to a non-technical person, yeah. I won't use my computer science terms. Uh, I'd kind of, like, take it down a notch so that I'm on their level and they could actually understand what I'm saying. Yeah. But that's the hard part, is when you're yeah. trying to go from something that's very specific in your knowledge, mm -hmm. but you're trying to explain it to someone who doesn't have that four years you spent at university learning all these different terms. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's very evident throughout different aspects of the world. It wouldn't be surprising that it applies to something like... Social issues. Exactly. All right, let's take a break. <laughs> okay, so what is the next question, Jomar? All right, the next question <laughs> is... What has been your favorite part about the experience of making this podcast? Oh, my favorite part. I think it was being able to talk to all of my friends. Um, I mean, like, these are the types of conversations that we would have anyway, yeah. like, for fun. But I think when, when you are in a setting where it is supposed to be, like, showcasing um, your, your perspectives and, like, what kinds of things you're actually learning and how you think about things, you, you really do learn a lot about um, each person. Yeah. And I think my favorite part about it was learning something new from everyone that I talked to. Even though, like, all of them were my friends, like, I learned something, you know, new with each person. So I think that was my favorite part. Okay, so I have a question for you. You've been listening to the podcast and you said earlier that you know, you're not really as well versed in social issues because you haven't studied it. What were some of the things that you learned from it that you didn't know? Or maybe not learned, but like what was your favorite topics? Um, my favorite topics or I guess concepts were yeah. when you'd bring up, um, when you'd talk about media with your friends. Um, yeah. Specifically. Iman's? Like, Iman's, but like. You kind of did it throughout all of them. That is true. <laughs> yeah, which is a good thing because then one of the reasons why it is my favorite is like you'll talk about something that I've watched or like something I've consumed mm -hmm. but I haven't thought twice about like what I said earlier. Yeah. Um, so like kind of analyzing it and like I guess picking at it and like making it visible to me. Mm -hmm. Something I didn't observe firsthand when I was actually watching it but then the flaws being exposed to me. And, yeah. like, opening my eyes. That's what I found cool, I guess. Like, wh which one are you thinking of? Specifically, uh, Lilo and Stitch. Oh, like okay, the yeah. the sister-sister relationship yeah. versus Frozen. Yeah. The sister-sister relationship in that. Yeah. One 
well, Lilo and Stitch, it seems more real, relatable and re- yeah. realistic. Yeah. That was a good episode. It was a good episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're all good episodes. Yeah. All right, next question. The opposite of the last question. Uh-huh. So, were there any issues or struggles that you encountered throughout the process of making the podcast? Struggles? Yeah, like struggles, issues, like not favorite part of the making them. Mm, okay. I, I think... know that like the time commitment was one. Yeah. Um, I think editing was the most tedious and probably the most boring because usually... Like, I know there's still a lot of ums and uhs in like, and likes in the podcast, but I, I, I tried my best to, you know, take those away, and that was so time-consuming. Um, but it's understandable, because it's your first yeah. time doing this, right? Yeah, that's true. I think maybe next time I'll use a different software edit. Anyways, that's not the point. Um, uh, challenging, I think the other challenging stuff was really confronting my biases, in, in some of the episodes, I don't know if, like, some of them were clear, um, but for a handful of episodes, I was really worried that I said something problematic or, like, one of my biases came out really strongly or some I said something racist when I didn't really mean it to be. Right. Um, I think just coming to terms with that and, like, knowing that it's okay to make mistakes, and this is something that I also talked about um, throughout the season was that it's okay to make mistakes and like it, it's how we deal with it and how we move forward from it so I think for me that was the most challenging it was the most challenging part of making the podcast yeah because it's something you haven't really experienced before like yeah so from a technical side of things like how did you find the editing process like was it something new to you it was new to me um, I had no idea what I was doing. I actually recorded James first. Like, he was like my guinea pig. And I didn't end up publishing the episode because it was just so all over the place. I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to get out of the conversations. I think editing, I had to do a lot of... I had to learn a lot of things through trial and error yeah. in terms of editing. And I, I'm, I feel like I've learned some things. But I think before season two... If there is a season two, um, I'd, I'd want to take, like, a podcasting workshop mm-hmm. where I actually pay to go to class and, like, learn how to actually edit um, audio and how to interview and how to make a thesis out of it. Because I know for some of the conversations, it was all over the place. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, well, like what you said, it's my first time doing it and I had no training and I just kind of went for it because I wanted to. But I think... That's what I would work on, is also just figuring out the technical side and what kind of, and finding a class so that I can develop my skills in podcasting. So for people who are kind of curious on your process or even like starting their own podcast, do you have any resources that you would suggest to them or even some other podcasts that you listen to that might like give them some insight or motivation? Yeah. Um, well, for me, I literally just taught myself, so I don't even think I have, like, good advice for people, but what I did was that I chose, like, my favorite podcasts, and I kind of listened to their structure and what they do and what kind of topics they did and how they ask questions to their guests. Like, one of my favorites, 
I've, that I've mentioned in the last episode was Anna Maria Tremonti on The Current, mm-hmm. CBC Radio. Um, I think she's really cool. So I got inspiration from her. And then I I guess I kind of just drew from my past experiences to, with leading projects. It's like, what are my goals? So I wrote down my goals so I could at least have a theme. And then I... You should watch Cecilia's goals video on her YouTube channel. Oh my god! <laughs> From like five years ago. Um, Check it out. <laughs> yeah, I made goals for my podcast. I uh, tried to figure out themes with each person and um, just kind of recorded from there. I, I also Googled a few things. Yeah, um, Google. Yeah, Google is very helpful. Uh, but maybe I can answer this better after season two. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so you mentioned how tedious or difficult editing was. Yeah. Um, that was from a technical side of things. Yeah. Um, from a content side of things, how much did you find yourself filtering and cutting certain segments out? Um, you were saying that sometimes you were worried that maybe you were coming off as racist. Like, mm-hmm. So from like your side, when you're editing it, mm-hmm. how, I guess, raw are the final cuts? Okay, I would say... of our conversations are usually there. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The other 10% are the other sections that I cut out that my friends requested to take out. Mm -hmm. So after doing a rough edit of the podcast, I send it to the interviewee again so that they can listen to it and tell me which parts they would want to cut out. And I usually cut those things out. I mean, I had this really one struggle in episode two with Emily's. You probably also heard it when I was kind of hesitant to leave something in. But I think even though it is hard... You've put yourself in a vulnerable place many times throughout the podcast. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like people do need to hear those mistakes sometimes. And I think I... I don't remember which episode I mentioned this in, but we usually see the final product in media... We don't really see the mistakes that people had to go through to process and like um, how we learned from it. Yeah, most of the conversations are raw and it's there. And I I tried to keep it like that to my best ability. Yeah, I think one important thing about podcasts in general is the fact that you're essentially improvising facts. Yeah, Um, improvising facts. (laughs) Well, you're talking on the spot, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, like, for me right now, this is difficult. Yeah. Uh, especially since I'm someone who's not really outgoing or well-spoken. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. just, like, talking on the spot. Like, sometimes you just want to say something... Yeah. ...to fill the, the void, the silence void. Right. And, like, you'll come up with something stupid that you want to... You'll say just because you need to fill up that void. I think it's more so, like, saying things... Like you said, like, you're, you're trying to make sure that your thought and your ideas are coherent exactly. and concise. Yeah. And then sometimes I say something that comes out really wrong. Yeah. Um, Which is, it's just normal. Like, the, yeah. we're all humans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One question that came from the survey. This one's kind of lengthy, but it seemed like a good question to ask. Okay. Um, as mentioned in your podcast, race often intersects with gender. For example, you cannot talk about a woman of color without addressing her race and gender. You talked about media that represents people of color positively, 
Um, so can you also mention some media that represents non-binary people and women of color positively and how this can make social change? Oh, that's a good question. I'm just reading out the question. So can mm-hmm. you kind of like restate it? Um, oh, restate it. Yeah. Okay. Just so, because um, I know you understand it way more better than me. Okay. So basically like th- my ending question in Visible Minorities was, what type of media do you, uh, would you recommend to others to watch that represents us minorities in a positive manner? So now this person is asking, is there any good representation of women of color and non-binary people? So non-binary meaning queer folks or, mm-hmm. you know, not just like the the feminine woman and the masculine man. Is, yeah. there, is there any media that has a good representation of queer folks? I mean, my one of my favorite podcasts is Two Dope Queens um, and it's hosted by Jessica Williams and Phoebe Robinson. You know, they're straight cis women who are black comedians. What a lot of the things that they do in their podcast is featuring, you know, non-binary people, people of color to show their talents and, you know, their comedic talents. And I think that podcast does a good job in trying to represent different types of people and to represent diversity. So I'd say, yeah, Two Dope Queens is good. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a pretty popular podcast? Like, yeah. Like pretty mainstream? Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. It's from WNYC. Uh, Two Dope Queens actually got a contract with HBO to film some of their shows and to feature on HBO. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I know Jessica Williams has a movie on Netflix right now, and she was the past correspondent in The Daily Show. Uh, Phoebe Robinson is was filming something in uh, Croatia this past summer. I know their lives. <laughs> and I think she um, has a new... Or it was for a Netflix movie that's going to come out soon. Yeah, and like their guests are very diverse and very um, representative of uh, different bodies out there. I guess for TV shows, the problem with this is that they aren't the main characters. Um, But, I mean, How to Get Away with Murder and Jane the Virgin, even though it doesn't surround on, like, queer stories, there are queer characters. Mm -hmm. At least it has a good representation or like more positive. It's not comedic. It's just part of their story. It's it's not a big thing. Mm -hmm. And I think especially with Jane the Virgin, if people are caught up, there's a new character and this new character is bi, bisexual. And it has such a good portrayal of how, you know, straight people can kind of get it wrong sometimes and how these straight people, you know, figure out how to come to terms with it, like, with their biases and having these difficult conversations. Oh, oh yeah, This Is Us. Not to spoil anything. Yeah, This Is Us is a great TV show as well. Yeah, one of the characters is by there too. And they also had a really good portrayal of, like, how straight people deal with it. And, like, they don't want to be, you know... It gets awkward. Yeah, it gets awkward. But, like... At the end of the day, they're actually just okay with it. Mm -hmm. And it's because there aren't those conversations and there isn't representation of bi folks Mm -hmm. in mainstream media and even just in our everyday lives. Like, there's still stereotypes attached to being bisexual. And those are addressed in um, these TV shows as not 
a huge, like, traumatizing, like, part of their life. It, them being bisexual isn't defined in their story. Like, that's not who what they're defined as. It's just part of life and part of who they are. Yeah. And that's what I liked about those. But, again, like, there aren't a lot of TV shows that do represent queer folks or queer people of color. And I think that is still an issue in mainstream media. Like, if anything, it's just, like, hints of it and, like... Mm-hmm commentary as you said but mm-hmm. it's not focused around it yeah oh wait i guess there's a bisexual main character in the hundred but again i still have critiques on it because it i feel like the show is coming to an end and i feel like the character is actually like moving towards her actual true love which is the straight guy and it's kind of unfortunate yeah like a it, twist yeah twisted the wrong way yeah exactly it's like oh we're pushing you know these boundaries of like what is portrayed in tv show but don't worry she's still heteronormative Uh. yeah that kind of thing it's like if you if you step too much out of the boundary of like what's normal it's like you have to step back in some way another person asked related to media what is your favorite disney movie (laughs) my favorite disney movie I feel like whenever people ask me that, it's hard because I can't decide. So I always just give them like a top five or a top three. And my top five, in no particular order, Hercules, Mulan, Toy Story 3, Up. Oh God. Why are you looking at me like that? I know that? which the last one should be. Okay, what's the last Lion one? Lion King. Oh yeah, Lion King. Uh, I don't know if it's actually my favorite, though. I know. Controversial. Very. (laughs) Um, I I also say The Little Mermaid. I was thinking that, but... But it's not my favorite anymore. (laughs) Like, as a kid, The Little Mermaid was my favorite. But, like, you know, now she's kind of annoying, bratty 16-year-old. It's interesting you say that, though, because of the whole, like, you grew up with it. Yeah. So, like, it seemed normal. Yeah. She's falling in love with this guy and she wants to change herself just to be with him. Yeah. And a lot of movies have that where yeah, it's like the girls change with the guy. But it's just guy. interesting that like now you're so aware of it, you don't like it because you yeah. know what it's actually portraying to you. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, very weird. All Wait, right. I just said four oh. though. What's my fifth one? Um, Lion King. Just own it. Just own it? Yeah, just okay, fine. Now. All right, Lion King it is. I'm sure there's one that's like... If I think of it... You'll see it and be like, oh, why didn't I include that in my top five? Yeah, I know. Okay, I'll just say Lion King for now. Is there any you hate? Maybe that's a better question. Oh, is there any that I hate? One that you... Like on the top of your head that you aren't fond of. I can't decide... No, 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 no. I can't decide. Oh, Aladdin! That's one of my favorite ones. Uh, Okay, I changed... Yeah, yeah, Aladdin. Sorry, okay, but the ones that I hate are... Ones. Just one? No, you said one. I know, because it's the three oldest princesses. Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, and Cinderella. Okay. I don't like them. Sorry to those three girls. Sleeping Beauty was really... No, it was Cinderella who was really nice to me in Disneyland when I was five years old. She said I was very patient. All right. Anyways, moving (laughs) on. What was something that you learned about yourself through conducting these interviews? Do you think the process has changed you in any way? That's a good question. All of these are good questions. 
It has changed. Well. Have you been changed for the for, for the, the better? I hope so. <laughs> um, well, to me, change is always like a very progressive, not a progressive, but a progression. And it's not like one instance. Mm-hmm. So I think this has definitely contributed to my change because, well, for one, I think I've developed a thicker skin. So in the beginning, I already had a lot of comments Not a lot, but to me, it was a lot. There were two comments basically saying like, you're overreacting. It's actually white people who are the visible minority. Bigotry is relative if you really think about it. Like those kinds of things where it's like, what the hell is happening? Where I I really had to figure an answer that's respectable and while also like disagreeing. I know I can't respond to all comments like those because it would be very, very difficult emotionally mm-hmm. and also just impossible because, you know, there are people who are just going to be thinking like this. For me, I really had to develop a thicker skin because, I mean, I, I had a debate on Wonder Woman and with someone else and that ended up with me shaking with anger. Well, I don't even know if it was anger, but I was shaking because I was just so emotionally like, I, I, I felt like I had to defend myself. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it also comes with, I guess, a certain, like, frustration. Like, you're not getting your point across. And yeah. they're so fixed in their own mindset that, yeah. like, you can't make any movement towards, I guess, kind of, like, sharing your own perspective. Because right. they're so kind of closed-minded. Yeah. And, you know, at least for some people, like, when, when they do try to pick a debate with me, mm-hmm. they try to frame it as, oh, we're just all learning, and, like, I just want to hear your perspective. But when you do say it, it just feels like they want to prove you wrong. And, like, when you figure out that that's the case, or it's, like, they just want to prove a point, yeah. there's a certain, you know, line where you have to say, okay, I have to stop. Like, this isn't worth my yeah. time. This isn't worth my energy. Like, I'm already shaking just thinking about these answers and what I have to say. So I think developing a thicker skin and also just kind of priming my mind that if I do want to pursue something in media, there's definitely going to be way worse and Mm -hmm. much worse situations that I'm going to have to deal with. So I think in that way, it has helped me. I don't know if I've changed, but I think it's definitely prepared me that I do have to change and do have to um, set boundaries for myself when talking about these things. What I'm mostly thankful for is that I do have a good support system of friends that I can always turn to and, like, ask for help and also just, like, you know, support and telling me that, you know, these people are just people making sure that I'm also okay. And I'm really glad for my friends who who are there for me. All right, so... Let's move to the next question. Okay. Out of all your achievements during the process of this podcast, what are you most proud of? So what are you most proud of? I I mentioned on my blog post that I got um, more connections and more opportunities with local newspapers. And I think my biggest accomplishment would be being featured in the local newspaper but like a community newspaper I I was like this podcast was featured and 
I had half a page and that was pretty cool to see, you know, my writing, mm -hmm. my work being published, my face being on it. I think that was super cool and really motivating, motivating yeah. for me. Like to see what is possible. Like, yeah, you'd obviously want to have more of these features yeah. and be more visible. Yeah. Ha. Visible. <laughs> I like your pun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're getting close to the end of the questions. Um, okay. So what's next for the podcast and what's next for you? Wow. Yeah. Do you think you've grown as a journalist? And like, is it something that you'll pursue? I don't remember if I mentioned this in a podcast, but uh, during the summer, I, I was very set on applying to journalism masters and, or like a sociology masters. But I ended up thinking that I'll spend another year working. And one of my fears is that I'm romanticizing journalism. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I want, again, like, my goal. my goal is for, thank you, is to teach and to learn. Yeah. And always different avenues of accomplishing that. One, one of the things that I just love is media and, like, TV shows and... and it doesn't really matter which way you do it. Yeah. You just want to find out which one it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know what I'm doing still. Um, but in terms of what's next for the future, I think... So is there a season two? Is there a season two? I hope so. I mean, I already am trying to figure out who I can interview and, mm -hmm. you know, contacting the people who didn't get a chance to be on the, on the podcast this season. Yeah. And, um, I'd want to probably learn from my, at least, logistical mistakes for this podcast. Yeah, because this podcast, this season was pretty well done. Like, it was pretty profession professionally sounding, I'd say. But what if you're just saying that because you're my partner? <laughs> no, like, even just, like, listening to it as, like, a production. It, sure, there's, like, technical flaws that I'm mm -hmm. sure you can easily iron out, like, the fan going off in the background, but like, <laughs> just like the sound effects, the timing, and like the information bite, like, is that what they call it? Info Infor drop. Info drop. Like, it's pretty well, well thought out. Like, mm -hmm. and like, there's a beginning, middle, and end. Like, you're trying to portray a story, but also yeah. like, bring out things you haven't learned about your friends, for example. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe I am biased, but <laughs> just I mean... listening to it was... Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, season two? Season two. I think I'll, I'll probably just learn from my mistakes in terms of, like, how to plan things and, like, what topics to cover and how much background research I should do before an interview. Do you think you'll be doing any other outlets? I have thought of it. Yeah, yeah I, I've thought of um, starting a YouTube channel. I just haven't really thought that one completely mm -hmm. yet. I definitely still want to continue doing media projects, getting my hands dirty in, you know, that area. But I also think that I do want to get my master's because I, I do love school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll hear back from you in season two. Hopefully. <laughs> If not season two, I, I've already talked to a few friends of, like, other ideas that we might co-create. Um, cool. co so, 
Definitely something coming up. Yes, definitely something. That's good. can just check my website for details. All right. For updates. Is there uh, anything else you want to say as the uh, guest host of Visible Minorities? Actually, there is. Wait for it. That's the end of our conversation with Cecilia. But I still need to ask her one more thing. If you're new to the podcast, I like to finish off my conversations by asking my friends what piece of media they've recently read, watched, or listened to that they would recommend to others. I started this podcast by thinking of she ways... She started this podcast! She started this podcast by thinking of ways to challenge mainstream media's representation of certain groups. I and I wonder what my... I and She and I wonder... And she wonders what her friends say is a good piece of media that says something positive about us minorities. So what do you say, Cecilia? Well, thank you for asking that, Jomar. <laughs> um, hmm. I already mentioned two dope queens. Jane I feel like Virgin. Yeah, but you know, Mon already Disney. said that. Mindy Project. Kristen already said that. So listen to the last episodes, the whole <laughs> season, and you'll know. <laughs> yeah, listen to all of the previous episodes. I feel like I want to categorize them. So, for podcasts, um, I mentioned Two Dope Queens, um, but my other favorites are Nancy, which is a podcast um, hosted by two queer Asian Americans who talk about queer stories in America. Um, I also like listening to So Many White Guys with four O's, I think. It's a podcast hosted by... Phoebe Robinson, one of the co-hosts of Two Dope Queens. And basically, she interviews different celebrities on their experiences in Hollywood or in the mainstream media. Um, in terms of TV shows, Jane the Virgin, for Shersies. Mindy Project. Yeah, the Mindy Project. Oh, This Is Us. That's one that no one has said yet. So, one of my favorites is The Mindy Project. Um... Because of Mindy Kaling, who's very, very successful. Um, and in what way? In what, well, she started, she worked really hard to get where she is. And, of course, as a woman of color, it's very inspiring to see other women of color succeed in the movie or, like, in Hollywood. Um, I also like Jane the Virgin because it does, it's the closest representation that I have to second generation immigrants where you know they're talking in Spanish in the house and I and and Jane responds in English so I really like that aspect where it's not where it does show a different culture living in America that's not white oh master of none which was also mentioned before sense eight also mentioned before if you want to look into different people um, in media, I would suggest looking into Hari Kondabulu because he is hilarious um, and has a lot of funny jokes. Other inspiring people are Trevor Noah, the host of The Daily Show, and um, Mindy Kaling, as I mentioned, Gina Rodriguez, the star of Jane the Virgin. Yeah, so those are my recommendations on mainstream media. Jomar, do you have any recommendations? Not really. 
But you watch things. Jomar was the one who told me to watch This Is Us. I usually watch shows that are related to computers. What, so, Silicon Valley? Silicon Valley, Halt and Catch Fire. Actually, Halt and Catch Fire is a really empowering... Halt and Catch Fire is based off, like, people starting on starting their own, um, like, tech companies. But it's set back in, like, 80s and 70s, mm-hmm. up to the 90s, mm-hmm. so, like, a wide range of years. Um, but there's this two characters that finished off the season, or the series, actually, two females who are kind of just, like, they weren't prominent in the beginning half, but then towards the end, they were the ones who had the most success and who actually were still pursuing their their passion. I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, it has a, a good representation of women in tech, but it might not match up with how it is today. Like, right. like it was a good initiative, but like, mm-hmm. especially since it was placed in the 1990s, they were white women, so it might be a little different. I'm not yeah, super yeah, yeah. familiar with it, but just the idea of like seeing women in the start, tech industry in the tech industry and like they were starting their own companies like right. one started a video game company like it seems very like unordinary mm-hmm. but like seeing it was pretty interesting like mm-hmm. thank you Jomar for um agreeing to be the host of today's episode and for asking the questions that people submitted um Hopefully there will be a season two so that you can be in it or ask me questions again. Sounds good. Okay. Well, that's it. Thanks for having me. No worries. No problem. It was my pleasure. It was a listener's pleasure as well. Yeah, okay. Okay, bye. That's it for this season of Visible Minorities. Thank you to Jomar for agreeing to be on the podcast. And thank you to Raphael, M. Caitlin, Julian, Malik, and Troy for submitting your questions. This episode would not have been possible without your contributions. Thank you to everyone who is able to be part of this project and to all my friends who agreed to be on the podcast. But most of all, thank you to you, the listeners, for being part of the conversation through all 13 episodes. This show is made for you, the folks who are always willing to learn. Now, this may be the season finale, but there's still more in store. Who knows, maybe a season two will be just around the corner. If you want to stay updated on my projects, follow my website, ceciliafederizon.ca, or my Instagram and Twitter at cfederizon. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and or Google Play. And until next season, folks, we'll talk soon. But before we end off, oh my God. there's one question that I always ask. No, no, no. Get, get the script. Get the script there. <laughs>